Hey everybody, it's May of 2022, depending on when you're listening to this. Every May, they take time to acknowledge foster parents, family members, volunteers, mentors, policymakers, child welfare professionals, and other members of the community who help children and youth in foster care find permanent homes and connections. Now, that's what the Children's Bureau has to say on their website, and I think really what we can do is to just go out and help raise some awareness. That's part of our mission here at Foster Care Nation is we're raising the awareness of the need for people to help kids. There's almost a half a million children in the youth and foster care systems, and we want to celebrate those who make a meaningful difference in their lives. So to all the foster care parents out there, if you're a foster parent, yeah, yeah, we think you're awesome. Now, if you're not a foster parent, that's okay. Share some of these episodes with people because the initiatives that we work with and some of the the people who just have a story to tell, to let us know what this is really like, why some of the people we, we know have the struggles that they have. This is our job in life. It's just to help others, especially when it comes to children. We are passionate about helping kids understand how to work through these hard things. So share this with somebody, send them an episode. This month, we're going to have a couple amazing guests on here. We're going to start the month out with Rita Sornan. Rita is the uh, CEO and president of the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. Uh, we got a couple other great things coming up this month, so keep your eyes open. And again, share this with somebody. That'll be one of the biggest things that you can do to help raise awareness of the need that is just absolutely overwhelming the kids in our nation right now. You can forget a lot of things, Foster Care Nation. But never forget this. You're listening to Unparalleled Studios. That signal. Foster Care Nation. Listen up. This is Foster Care and Unparalleled Training. Strength for the powerless. Courage for the fearful. Hope and healing for wounded hearts. Welcome back to Foster Care, an unparalleled journey with Jason and no Amanda, guys. Sorry. Again, she is out doing grown-up stuff, taking care of kids. I think it's a therapy appointment today, although I might be something else as well. So she may be popping in here in a little bit if she gets home on time. She may not. I make no promises. So since I am, you know, the terribly boring one of the two, I will make certain that I always try and bring a guest in so I don't bore you too much. So today I brought in Dr. Arnold and Dr. Arnold. Um that sounds confusing. Megan and Haley. Megan and Haley. We'll go with that. We'll go with that. Yeah. How are you guys doing today? We're good. good. Thank you. Yeah. Well, and we talked a little bit before we started recording here, and you guys are both doctors in the sense of chiropractors. And so I have a huge admiration for people like you who take people like me in chronic pain and keep us upright and walking on a regular basis. So it's always fun to do that. <laughs> Oh, yes. I, I'm going to tell you, I, that's one of my big struggles in life. I, I live in chronic pain with, with a lot of the stuff that I have going on. And so finding people who can do that, oh, it's amazing. And so I've met, I met a handful of chiropractors who just could not could not quite seem to do it. Apparently, I'm a little tough and grisly. And I had one guy, I, 
he there's a couple different schools of chiropractic work and don't just forgive my ignorance because i don't really know what they're called there's one that has a table that drops and that one it works wonderfully for me and the other yep. one is i call it greco-roman wrestling because that's what it feels like <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a more specific term for it than that, but that's what I use. Sure. <laughs> one guy, he was a smaller fella, and I am not small, and I am not terribly flexible in a lot of ways. And this poor dude was all but like standing on my leg trying to jump on me to get me to twist the right way, and he never <laughs> couldn't quite get it to work. And so when I find somebody who could do that work and actually make it make it make people feel better, that's that's amazing. So you guys are at least part demigod in my world, just so you know. I like to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you also have some connection in the foster care and adoption world. So that's another big step for you guys as well. So we're going to start this off with, I'm pretty happy with both of you already. <laughs> right on. That, that's our world, right? Foster care and adoption. Yeah. And and so I, how did you guys get involved in this, in this whole crazy world that we live in? Well, it was a handful of years ago. Um, we decided that it was time to start a family. And so we had always discussed um, foster to adopt as being the journey we wanted to take. <clears throat> so we started that. And it it seemed to um, take forever <laughs> just to go through like training and certifications and this and that and whatever. And then whenever you're finally actually able to, you know, be certified by the state as a, as a foster parent and a clear house, um, then you have to wait for the kiddos to show up. And it actually, it took two years before we got a call. Yeah, we are definitely, our agency knew that we were on more of the adoption track versus mm -hmm. the emergency placement track. Sure. So they knew, you know, we're not going to call Megan and Haley just because a kiddo needs a home. Um, although now I think they're at that, like, okay, we need Megan and Haley to take kiddos because they need a home. So <laughs> um, uh, it, it did take a while, but they, they certainly knew what we signed up for and we're good about that idea. So, well, you guys are down in the great state of Texas, right? Yeah. Okay. Here's the one mark against you is that you guys are Texans. Well, <laughs> and and my family in Missouri. Does that count? <laughs> right now, sometimes we feel that way too. So it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> To be fair, I was stationed for a while in West Texas in a little bitty town of San Angelo, Texas. And that oh, yeah. was most of my Texan experience. And I have a lot of family there. Oh, I'm <laughs> so sorry. I, I understand your feelings. <laughs> there is nothing there but sand and oil rigs and cactuses and some and jackrabbits the size of German shepherds. I don't understand yeah. that. They have deer the size of German shepherds, too. I, I don't understand how that happened. <laughs> It's like we stepped into a little bit of Alice in Wonderland while it was out there. It was it was very very strange, but being you know being from Missouri and remembering like what it's like to have seasons, um, West Texas was not fun when I got there in the summer. No, um, no, and I spent summers there, so I understand. Oh my goodness, 130 yeah. degrees for like three weeks straight, and that's the low. I thought we were close to hell. I was like, I, it's not quite hell, but it's got to be around the corner somewhere. <laughs> we're in Houston. It's not much better weather-wise. So. No, but you you have grass in Houston, right? A little bit and hurricanes. So. And an ocean. Yes. 
So you, sort of. Yeah, you, you have some benefits there. I, I don't, I don't have any personal hate on Houston, but that West Texas experiment was not the thing I would like to go back and repeat. As a matter of fact, when my <laughs> wife wanted our family to go on vacation and she mentioned Texas, I was like, like I had that visceral reaction. Like, oh. I was like, a, I started sweating. I went, Texas, are you kidding me? And so we looked up uh, Corpus, and we, we took the family down to Corpus Christi, and that oh, would be a much better experience. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, we went to Corpus, I think it was like two weeks before the uh, vacation season down there actually started. And in Corpus, it was much better weather at that time of year. So, so yeah, it was a lot better. So I'm going to assume you guys, you know, I'm not too mad at you for being in Texas, but um, but I also know Texans. And I just have to ask because you mentioned having taken a long time to have um, to have your your local DFS. I don't know what's called down there, DFS, DIFUS, CPS, whatever the your your agency call you for a kid. And I I'm just thinking that same sex couples that has to be a difficult thing, especially in Texas. At least for the time I was there, it would have been. Yeah, so I mean, we're it's, it's more open now, um, but there's definitely, depending on where you are, here in Houston, it's pretty, uh, I guess, accepted. Um, although it, there's still a large pull for which judge is in charge of which child, um, and are they going to allow same-sex couples to foster? foster. So it's, it's still left to the discretion of people that maybe it shouldn't be. So it's, and it goes both ways. I mean, it was a little bit of that, but also um, we lived in a three-story townhome and just the floor plan wasn't always right for the placement that was needed. Yeah. So we had one bedroom down on the first floor and another bedroom on the third floor and you can't put a toddler unattended on the first floor and that type of thing. So sometimes it was just um, literally like how, how the floor plan worked. Yeah. If you put them on the third floor, you'll always know when they try and leave. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's been an, an interesting journey for sure. Yeah, we have a very old house. I think this place was built in 1903. And it's a big, beautiful old home. But the staircase in this place is, I don't think it's four foot by six foot. And I mean, it's this little quick little spiral straight up. And I look at that and I'm like, Every time a kid goes up that one, I'm terrified. I feel like we should have a, a net at the bottom to catch them just in case. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. So some of those are always, always, uh, you know, those little pieces that we don't really think about can be a struggle with this. But, you know, how many, how many kids have you guys had come through your home out there? Actually, we had one that we were more of a respite, very short term situation. He was here for a week. And then the two we have now are the two that are staying that we are in adoption prep now. So we have not had the opportunity to house a lot of kids. So, well, I'm going to warn you that, um, that there is something about this that happens to you and you look up and you go, how did I end up with eight kids in my house? <laughs> oh, I'm just going to leave that one. actually. <laughs> yeah, no, that would not surprise me. Honestly, <laughs> We're we're open for three, but we got a sibling group um, of two. Uh, two a year and a half ago, almost, mm -hmm. and they're here to stay. So, so we were we were lucky um, to get that placement. Uh, their parental, the parental rights were being terminated rather 
soon when we got them. They were already, um, they were almost legally free to adopt. Right. So. They were almost legally free to adopt. So like because of COVID, like a court date got pushed back. So therefore it didn't happen whenever it was supposed to happen. So it got pushed to like the next court date, <clears throat> but it has pretty much been on, on track. Um, just a few, like, I always call it moving at the speed of red tape and paperwork. So you're just <laughs> constantly waiting for paperwork to clear and that kind of thing. So it's, you're just kind of, I don't know what other people's foster experience is, but you're just, you're at the mercy of paperwork and kind of like deadlines and this and that and whatever. And you're just kind of there to shuffle along with the flow. Yeah. So I did tell our agency if they, you know, I have never had the baby experience. So if any baby needs to be taken care of, I kind of want to. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I am that weird guy. Um, I will take, give me three addicted newborns before you try and put one teenager in my house. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's my word. I've heard about teens being a, a little more difficult. A trip. We were, we were, we thought we would end up taking care of older kids, but we got toddlers. So yeah, it's been an interesting journey. Well, you know, teens have, teens can be wonderful at rewarding experiences. However, God did not wire me that way. You know, I was wired for addicted newborns. It's weird, I know. Um, but through my own childhood trauma story, if you want to call it that, uh, I learned the mechanism of dissociation at a very young age, and I didn't have the words to put around that until until the very recent time. But I have the ability to turn to just not really hear the screaming, I guess, is the best way to put it. And I can hold a screaming baby for hours, and I'm okay with it especially when I know it's a, it's a, a brand new baby who came into this world. And the only thing that they know is withdrawals because yeah. Yeah. seeing a grown man or woman going through withdrawals from things like meth and heroin and fentanyl and the harder drugs. And you see them going through the withdrawals, trying to get clean. And it's just, it's hard to watch a grown adult go through that. It just looks so miserable. And the idea that this this brand new baby was brought into this world and the only experience they have, the only experience they have is life is that pain, that pain of withdrawal with no hope of getting, because I'm going to tell you, you bring a baby in my house, I promise you, I'm not going to let them have any any heroin to make them feel a little better, to you know, ease right. withdrawals, right? So <laughs> they have to go through that experience with, with no relief whatsoever until right. it clears their body and their brain. And yeah. I'm not even certain that it, it clears their brain entirely because there are there are little pieces we've seen. We have several kids that we adopted through the system, and all of our kids have some level of drug exposure. Um, some of them more severe than others, but you know the the long after effects, the long term after effects that happen are just like it, it's still there. It's still yeah. there. And, and unfortunately, there's no studies past the age of five of what this might do to them. So. Yeah, there's something about ethical studies on introducing drugs to newborn babies that seems kind of hard to do. Right. Yeah. We have a two and a four year old and who were drug exposed. We now know that. So there are definitely things that we see in them that I'm assuming is due to meth exposure and um, benzo exposure and that kind of stuff. So definitely understand. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to assume it's probably the same across the nation because most people I talk to say it is the same in their area. But for us, heroin and meth are both apparently ridiculously cheap. Yeah. I'm assuming. 
I mean, I've, I've never priced it out, but it seems the to cost, be a common use. The cost of milk has gone up so much. I can't imagine that the cost of meth hasn't at least kept up to some extent, but apparently... <laughs> Apparently, it's still entirely gettable by just about anyone, and it's it's has a lot of it's easy access and low cost. Yeah, and so so many kids are coming into care with a lot of that exposure, and and people like us are are the ones who get to to do the the study of how that affects them and try and help them walk through it. You know, with, yeah. with your experience, if you know, you said you have kids who who were born ex- exposed. Um, you know, what's that been like for you guys to, to try and, and walk through something like that, that I'm assuming you probably don't have a whole lot of exposure to doing that, walking that road yourself, right? We do not. But um, what's interesting for us is we're chiropractors, but our focus is actually pediatric chiropractic. So we deal with the neurology of uh, these kiddos. So in our, our clinic and our practice, we've taken care of you know, autism and ADHD and sensory processing disorder, all that kind of stuff. So when our kiddos came to us, we saw a lot of similarities in neurology with how they have uh, grown up and what they're dealing with versus the kids that we see as patients. So uh, while we do think a lot of the neurological concerns they have are probably drug induced, it's the same mechanisms for their neurological pathways. So we're, we've actually been really excited because what we do as a profession has helped our own babies uh, develop a little bit better than they would without it. So it's, you know, the sleep issues are probably the worst for us. Um, sometimes the sensory overload has been, problematic and certainly tantrums uh, they are a bit more extreme than a typical toddler but outbursts you know outbursts but the things like our babies came to us our four-year-old was almost three two and a half I guess and our youngest 16. was 16 months but they have been in the system since he was four months old right mm-hmm. yeah so they had actually been through four three other foster homes before us and no one knew how to deal with them. So I'm assuming some of their excessive, we, we like to call it <laughs> fight or flight behavior, mm-hmm. was probably there from day one due to exposure. Yeah, if and you look the, at the behavior notes and that type of thing, it it would appear that way. Yeah. <clears throat> and so, it, like you said, you kind of can turn off the screaming child, screaming baby. That's literally what we got was a screaming baby our youngest is chill. He hasn't really ever, he's just now throwing tantrums, but they seem to be quote unquote normal for his age. Um, But our oldest, her, her screams and her crying and everything were definitely intense and definitely not (laughs) hours. Yeah. For Hours. hours and hours and hours. So we've had to not only have the mommy instincts of, okay, there's something there that's, um, some sort of emotional component has not been met for you versus our doctor instincts of there's some sort of biochemical component that's going on here. And as soon as we got the redacted file a few months ago, since we're preparing for adoption, we were like, oh, that's what's going on. And we've been able to do our, do our thing for our own kids. But 
Well, it was also difficult at one point because um, until those parental rights were terminated uh, from the from the bio parents, we were still having to do in-person um, visits and come to find out, you know, there was still drug transfer happening. Mm-hmm. And so whatever they were going through and trying to, I guess, basically get clean, <laughs> it's not really toddlers going through, you know, addiction programs, but, you know, what they were doing to kind of detox that out naturally um, was they were just still getting exposed to it on a weekly basis or a biweekly basis sometimes. Um you know, because it was something that we couldn't help. And it was just on clothing, uh, you know, gifts. on gifts, on toys and, you know, things coming from their lodging uh, and then coming back into our home and us having to kind of monitor that. Um, it was like, you know, definitely like a re-exposure. Right. On a and, weekly then, basis and then you would have all of those behaviors amplified all over again. So, I mean, I can't imagine what that's like as an only life experience for a newborn especially since there's not only are they so small, um, but just, you know, that's, that is so not fair. <laughs> I mean, you have literally no other life experience except for that yet. Um, but also on a little older kids having that experience and then being pulled back in it kind of on this roller coaster ride, just from, you know, re-exposure and transfer, et cetera. Um, that has to also be hard because whenever something would heal, it would automatically get re-exposed again. And then you have all of those traumas, all those behaviors and whatever resurfaced. And they have no way to tell you how they're feeling. Right. And then they can't communicate. So it's just interesting (laughs) to say the least. Interesting and hard. Yeah, it's hard. Very hard. Because, you know, I, I don't know about you guys, but my wife has that mothering instinct pretty, pretty heavy in her heart and soul. And so she wants to, to nurture that problem away. And, you know, for me, again, like I'm just wired weird. I can hold a screaming baby. You know, I, I know how to, you know, put the skin on skin contact and just, just sit, sit with them in that. And yeah. it doesn't affect me nearly as much as it does most people which makes me weird, but it also feeds that whole idea I have that, that, you know, I'm here with a purpose, you know, there was a plan for me showing up and apparently this is part of it. And so that's what I'm supposed to be doing. So I'll do that. I'm really good at it. That's great. I'm a baby whisperer. If you have a baby that won't sleep or that cries, just give them to me. We'll be good. (laughs) See, she, Megan has to put our, our youngest down because he's so attached to me that he will cry if I put him down. Um, but he, we, we jokingly call him my barnacle because he's literally just <laughs> on me all the time. Um, and I don't have the heart to put him down, but he will do anything for Megan. <laughs> I just march him upstairs and say, okay, we're going to go fix your pillow. Let's go, you know, get your blanket ready. And he says, okay. And he just marches upstairs and does it. And I'm like, I don't know why that's so hard, but apparently, you know, <laughs> Something about my conviction of, you know, fluffing the pillow and getting the blanket ready is really resonates with him. <clears throat> you know, every, every child responds differently to every human in their life. It's wild to see how that works because you know, we, we have genetic, you know, biological si- siblings, you know, you share genetics and then you see how differently they react each one of them to me or in each one of them to my wife. And I don't know that we're supposed to understand why it works the way it does. I just, yeah. it just does. How about that? Yeah. Fair. <laughs> I don't think it's, it's 
not necessarily my wife's fault that they listen to me better. I think it also helps for me because being the big guy, you know, with with the big mean face and, and the big black beard and the deep voice, and, you know, I have the, the benefit of dad voice, which can be taken yeah. very, very seriously by young children more often. And um, that, that's just my benefit. So they listen to me better typically. But she also is, is a very caring and nurturing human. And sometimes, I don't know if you know this or not, but sometimes toddlers especially act just like little psychopaths. And they learn how to manipulate that. Yep. Oh, yeah. We know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. And we are quickly figuring that out. So yes, yeah, I, I laughingly sometimes joke about you know toddlers being miniature psychopaths, but if you were to follow the science there, I mean, it looks a lot like that for a reason because yeah, their brains are growing so rapidly they don't even know what they're doing. Yes, yes, and and if it works, why wouldn't you continue to do that? Right. So yeah, I understand it. I don't necessarily always like it, but I understand it. <laughs> I know exactly which buttons to push. Yes. So. Especially the four-year-old, yeah, she is like the queen of pushing buttons, and she she just wants any sort of reaction, whether it's good or bad. <laughs> She's like, oh god, I'm exhausted. <laughs> so, how many kids do you guys have in the house with you right now? Two, two, but she feels like twelve. So, <laughs> when a girl, the girl is older. She's like twelve people, and he's like one. So, <laughs> I get you know, it. it's either two or a baker's dozen. <laughs> Yeah, I get it. I totally get it because <laughs> we, we've had those kids. You know, our journey has been almost a decade and a half long now in this world, and we have had somewhere between twenty and thirty kids who've come through our house. And I mean, they're so different, just so wired, so different. It's amazing how two kids will show up from the same home, the same experience, and just have such total different reactions to what they've been through. Yeah, and yeah, it's. It's like you're dealing with humans that are that are completely different and in every way you would never have guessed that they were necessarily siblings unless maybe they happen to look alike. Ours look just alike, but they are definitely different personalities. Yeah. So. Yeah, they teach us so much, don't they? <laughs> I'm I'm looking for the lesson in patience right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe I may I have a friend of mine actually who who runs a a dad's group who has a patience course out that he's put out there and um maybe that's something that, that that I should look at putting out there for people because we all struggle with that one, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, humans in general struggle with that. Yeah. So foster, foster care is just a whole other level. Yes, yes. It's just it's patience 2.0 that we're supposed to have a grasp on and we don't always have a good grasp on that when we get started. So yeah. I, I'm curious, as far as like beginning this journey, I know that, that um, I think Megan, you said that, that you guys knew from the beginning that you were interested in the foster to adopt. Yes. Um, now I always try to find the, the question behind, you know, behind the, the story, you know, I know that most of us don't just wake up one day and say, yeah, I think I want to, I'm going to do foster to adopt. Like there's usually a story behind that. Um, what, what does that look like for you? What, what, what was it that pushed you in that direction? Yeah. I mean, you want to go first? Sure. Um, so my parent, my mom had a lot of trouble caring full term and, um, finally she was able to carry, you know, her first child did you're here. Yeah, I'm here. So like first child came and she want, they knew that they wanted a second child and it took, forever. And they didn't think that that was going to happen. She kept miscarrying and all that kind of stuff. And, um, they were 
working with an adoption agency. And I just remember kind of being a part of that conversation. I was about five years old. Um, and I just kept being told like, you know, do you want to be a big sister? And, you know, this is how it's going to happen. And um, right when they were at that kind of finish line, like there was a baby that I believe that they were matched with. Um, my mom found out she was pregnant. And so that adoption got put on hold and then she was able to carry for full term. <clears throat> and so I have a sister that's uh, five, about five and a half years younger than me. Um, and we just, they just never adopted. They they had two and, you know, they, they were fortunate enough to get it both biological. Um, and so that's how that happened. But I just remember being a part of that conversation and so it's always just kind of been in, in the back of my mind. And then whenever I was in fourth grade, I had a classmate that was, um, uh, I guess, fostered to it up. So she was um, matched with her birth family whenever I met her. And, you know, we, we are still friends to this day, um, a little out of touch, but still friends. And so her experience and me, me being kind of aware of her situation in fourth grade um, just kind of made me always think about you know, my sisters, uh, I guess like my, the potential of having an adopted sister and then, you know, a, a good friend who was adopted and then, um, just what I wanted to do whenever I got older. Yeah. For me, the, I've always known that, uh, hormone wise, I was jacked up basically. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually have had uterine cancer twice and, no longer have a uterus. So that was something that I, you know, I had to come to terms very early on that I was never going to carry a child. Um, and being a same sex couple, there are no surprises in that department either. True. And um, Megan also didn't necessarily want to carry a child. So um, we have been through the whole road of, of fertility treatments and whatnot. And it just was not the plan for us. Yeah. So not only like, it was probably a good thing that I always wanted to adopt because I found out that I couldn't carry. No. Um, so, um, my, my actress, my sister is adopted. So she's 13 years older than me. So my mother was, um, a huge CPS. Uh, she was like big man on campus, CPS, uh, whatever they're called. I don't know. I don't know what her title was, but for the state of Texas, she was um, pretty high up there in the department. And so foster care was always a part of my life. So my mom was a licensed marriage and family counselor. Um, I knew all the stories. I was exposed to the entire system as a young child. So adoption always seemed like the thing I was going to do. Now the shift from do we go through a private adoption agency to foster to adopt wasn't really the decision until we started the process. Right. Um, but we did know that there are so many children that have a traumatic beginning. Why don't we help them? And that was just kind of the, the snowball, the conversation <laughs> Um, and we we started uh, the process for private adoption. It just didn't feel like what we wanted to do. Um, and we didn't necessarily say that, hey, we had to have a baby. We wanted to, we actually wanted to help older kids and be a home for older kids. It just so happened that we got toddlers. 
Um, we weren't planning on two toddlers at all. We literally thought, okay, maybe there will be a 12 year old or an eight year old or something like that. Um, so as soon as we, we started with our agency here in Houston, you know, we had the conversations when we were going through training, they were like, okay, we know y'all want straight adoption, but would you be willing to do foster to adopt? And there was really just no question about it. Certainly. Um, and it, it was fun. So while we haven't had the experience of a lot of kids coming into our house, um, it's been an interesting ride knowing that like we've been connecting with so many other foster parents and, and foster groups on Facebook and all that kind of stuff. And it's, you know, everyone has their own stories and their own experiences. We've, I feel like we've been quite fortunate to have ours. Because, literally everyone's experience is different. Yeah. Uh, we knew like, even though our kiddos have some neurosensory issues and they're short, the short time they've been in this planet has been quite traumatic. We have really loved that we've been able to put not only our our hearts and soul into their care, we've been able to use our expertise for them as well to help them have an even more stable situation. So and they're great kids. Yeah, they're awesome kids. Yeah. Um, and we have a lot of friends that have done foster to adopt as well. So it's nice to be able to connect with them and say, okay, this is what's going on. Um I will say though that we never anticipated the fact that foster care uh, as, as foster parents can also be traumatic. We were not prepared for that. Um, the trauma inflicted on the foster parents. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's been interesting. We, I think our story is probably a lot more of the silver lining and positive story. Cause we've not had to deal with like only just now do we have random inspections. Like we never had any surprise visits for a while. Um, like granted COVID probably had yeah. more to do with that than anything. It was more um, COVID dependent than I think, you know, anything. Yeah. But we haven't, we have not had to experience the heartbreak of, you know, getting attached to a child and then reunification happening, um, which I know is ultimately the goal, but it's, we've really had the experience that we've were expecting, I guess it's been, uh, we they knew we wanted to adopt, and I know that not everyone sees the foster to adopt situation as the ideal situation, but it just it seemed like what we were going to do. Yeah, and I, I read something just the other day. A post I saw online somewhere where somebody was talking about you know how all them you know she was she was tired of hearing all these people praying that God would bring a kid to their house for them to adopt because it means that the kid goes through all this heartache and all. And I'm like. You know, I kind of get tired of people who, who look at it that way because the truth is is that we all know that there are kids out there who need help, who need a place, and we all know that as lovely as it would be if everybody could put away their drugs or whatever their addiction or their vice is or could figure out how to, to handle their anger and end up in healthy relationships, that would be amazing if everybody would just take care of their life that way. It's not realistic, though. But it ain't going to happen. Yeah. It ain't going to happen. And so we're here for for those kids who fall through the cracks and don't have that place to, to land. Yeah. And yeah. So, yeah. I totally understand what you're saying there. That's, I mean, they're usually not coming from fantastic situations. That's why they're in a system. Yep. Yeah. And, and there are some we have we have seen plenty of stories where where maybe a kid was taken wrongfully, you know, probably yeah. shouldn't have been taken. 
yeah and they were and and you know they end up with that reunification happening we actually interviewed um a gal a while back and and they they were they took her kids out of her home on a something related to failure to thrive i'm going to get it all wrong um but she has a, a podcast called i think it's the f word foster care is the name of her podcast yeah i love the name um but uh but you know and she, and they told the story of of how cps came in and took her kids because they all were very very small and and um and the truth is is that she's a very small woman and her husband is not a very big guy either and all of her kids were very small because that's just genetics you know we've got yeah. a little one staying with us right now and she's not here for failure to thrive she you know she came out of the hospital born addicted but um i think amanda took her to the doctor yesterday or the day before and she is six months and she is currently at the one percent mark on the height chart one percent she's at the bottom of the list She's just yeah. now getting onto the list at six months. Then we found out through some other people that her biological father is a whopping like five foot one. Okay. Oh, okay. So yeah, you look at your, okay, well, it makes sense. Like she may not be the tallest girl ever. She, we're not going to make any, any big investments in like the WNBA for her because yeah. it's a good possibility. She's not going to see anything like a, a basketball rim and except looking way, way up in her life ever, but that's just how she is. And sometimes those parents end up with the raw end of the stick and hopefully the, the, the system realizes their mistakes before it gets too awful detrimental to the sure. kids. But yeah. you know, we, we're just, we're just here to do the best we can in the situations that are placed in front of us. So, you know, you guys, you guys talk about have, having had your own journey towards foster care and, and kind of having had the experience that, that you expected to have. Uh, what, what's, what's on the horizon for you guys? What are you guys looking forward to? Well, our adopting is a big thing for us right now. Our oldest doesn't exist on paper. So we've literally been um, waiting on a delayed birth certificate for nine months now. Yes. So our little one's already in adoption prep, but big sister's got to come along too. Um, so that that's our big thing. So for us, our agency closes houses the moment you adopt. So we won't at least for a year. For a year. So we won't be able to foster for at least a year after that, unless we magically got a child in right now before we adopted. But um, but yeah, I don't know. We haven't really. <laughs> We, because we've been trying to learn the ropes of our toddlers, we haven't really discussed whether we would open our home up again um, to do maybe more emergency placements or anything like that. So um, it's been, I don't know, you no, have anything to add to that? I'm just trying to figure out the day-to-day. At the moment. Yeah. It, and it's, you know, right now we're in that world of, okay, we've got therapies on Wednesdays. We've got we don't have visitations anymore, fortunately. So we're not really going all across Houston for that. Um, set schedule now. But we we have a really set schedule. I don't know if we're gonna shake that up at all. <laughs> well, our oldest does require a lot of therapies. And so it's constantly trying to accommodate that. Yeah. Hey Papa, guess what? What? I need new clothes. Baby needs new clothes. Where do you think we could go find some cool designs to, from to wear? Oh, I think I have an idea. I mean, we've got some awesome designs for people to wear. Well, I didn't think about that. You go over to our website. What is that one again? It's um, tpublic.com slash foster care nation. 
Yeah, I think we had t-shirts and tank tops and hoodies and sweatshirts and... Baby and he, onesies. They don't have any dad-sized onesies there, do they? Mm, I don't think so, but the baby onesies are super adorable. Yeah, they are. Hey, we got some kids' hoodies and, and short sleeve t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts. Maybe we should go over there and check it out. Where is that again? It's over at Tee Public, right? Yeah. Foster Care Nation? Yeah, com slash fostercarenation. So I understand you guys, you know, have a really busy life and, you know, your agency, when when they stop your, your foster license for a while uh, after an adoption, I totally get it. I think for a lot of parents, you know, a lot of people that seems kind of um, like, why would you do that? You know, but trust me, when you have one shop that stays, that's staying forever, that is a, a big change in your life, right? Yeah. And these kids need a lot of attention, especially when they come from hard places especially when they come from really hard places. And so that's a, an amazing, enjoyable time, you know, as you get to know these kids. And I mean, hard, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I have not yet met a kid who is really always terribly easy. We've had a couple that were pretty easy, but, but they don't stay that way for too long usually because when that trauma, when they get comfortable and those traumas start to come out and it's, it's a challenge for us, for all of us. And so, um, you know, I understand why they do that. So I would just, number one, say, enjoy that time. Enjoy that time with your little ones. And number two, um, you know, you guys mentioned that, you know, with your profession, you've learned how to how to help some of these kids with some sensory processing issues, things like that. Um, can you talk about that just a little bit? Because quite frankly, I'm terribly curious. I have kids with lots of processing and or sensory issues and things like that that we have to we have to learn to work through. And Nobody ever told us about this stuff, and so we kind of sucked at it at the beginning, and now we're kind of okay at it, you know, with the experience level we have. But how do you help kids who've been through sort of stuff like that? There's all sorts of pathways for that, but basically what we do professionally is called functional medicine and chiropractic care. So in the chiropractic realm, we're doing a lot of brain balance therapies, So we have this one like music therapy situation that helps the hemispheres of the brain talk to each other. And it makes people a little less anxious. It makes them a bit more coordinated. Um, It really just helps lay down the foundations for healthy neural pathways. And when you do that for a little one, especially one that has had different types of trauma or different types of developmental delays, um, maybe not reaching their milestones as much as possible, really working on those exercises is quite beneficial from the functional medicine perspective. We're dealing with nutritional deficiencies. You know, do you have a picky eater that's not willing to eat more than chicken nuggets and mac and cheese? Maybe they have some food intolerances. Maybe they're not getting the vitamins and minerals that they need. We look at all of those types of things to help balance the biochemistry. So in you know, in, in babies or, or young toddlers that have had drug exposure or maybe not even that, maybe they were, they could, yeah, even if mom was on fertility treatment, she probably was super deficient in B vitamins. Therefore the baby's going to be deficient in those vitamins as well. So we're always focused on the, uh, restoring balance to the biochemistry and the neurology so that we can hopefully help these babies and kiddos grow up to be happy, healthy humans. So 
Oh, that's what we do. Balance. <laughs> Restoring balance. Yeah. So for those of us who aren't in Houston to bring the kids to you, um, <laughs> to help us out with that. I'm curious, what, what can we do just as, as your average run of the mill foster parent? Is there somebody, we, you know, necessarily like a professional to talk to, or is, is there something we can do on our own to, to help this? Certainly. So, uh, you know, I am a big believer that kiddos need their team of wellness experts. So, Obviously, pediatric chiropractors are, are our favorite, but OTs, PTs, speech therapists, all that kind of stuff, working hand in hand together with their pediatrician and their traditional medicine uh, type of team as well. But the, you know, it's always fun with foster care systems. Like I'm, I'm in a bunch of the local foster care groups on Facebook. So the moms or the dads are always asking for, um, I guess, holistic wellness options or holistic healthcare options. Most likely a pediatric chiropractor is the best person to talk to for that kind of stuff. Um, functional medicine doctors as well would be really great. We actually are, one of our brands is called Nutritots. We developed supplements for kiddos with these situations. So if they, you know, maybe like you were talking about failure to thrive a little while ago, those kids that just aren't eating enough because they've been through a traumatic event or they're picky eaters because they've got neurosensory issues or things like that. That's kind of our jam. That's where we, we create the supplemental products that hopefully they will love and be able to use and get healthy. So it's definitely with foster kids, you have, we, most of the focus tends to be more on mental health and providing them with the trauma informed type of care that they deserve, but they also need a wellness team for everything else to be just healthy children in general. Um, and I think that's where people like us kind of thrive and come in and help them. So. All right. Well, let me pick your brain just a little bit. Cause we have a few minutes left here and I'm going to be a little bit, a little bit selfish here. Um, <laughs> we have, we have a little guy. He is six years old, and a couple of years ago, he had a um, a bowel obstruction, and he went from a kid who was fairly well potty trained to a kid who has no idea when he needs to go half the time. And yeah. we've been struggling through that with him. That's a pretty big struggle, especially as a kid who's who's going into kindergarten and all the. I mean, I don't know if you know this or not, but even in kindergarten, some of those kids can be fairly mean. So he's dealing with a lot of that stuff, and and we know that and. Quite frankly, I have no idea where to go to help this kid with this because all the doctors we've talked to are like, um, we'll try this, but I really don't know. So when you run across something like that, you know, I don't have, I don't have a pediatric, um, chiropractor anywhere around me that I know of, you know, so how would you go about helping a kid with something like that? Is that, is that your world there? Do we, you know, is that something you guys, so, so what is it that I should be looking for to help this kid who has this really specific problem? So the first question is, what what was the intervention for the bowel obstruction? Did he have to have it removed? Was there a surgical issue? No, we we did. Um, I think it was a uh, a lower dose Miralax regimen okay. for a while, and until until he was able to at least you know get back to to normal biology. Yeah. So part of the problem, like I'm not a huge Miralax fan. I know that's the standard gold standard prescription for that. It's just propylene glycol. So they act when you are so constipated and you have to use things like that to finally have bowel movements and get things regular, 
your nervous system almost forgets how to do it on its own. So there can be a, yeah, I I don't know what the word I'm looking for is basically a, a disconnect between the brain body connection and the nervous system's ability to, um, fully, yeah, fully recognize that, Hey, I've got to go to the bathroom now after you've been through that situation. The other thing is it, that in itself can be somewhat of a traumatic event for a small child. Um, so they may be having more of a, a mental block to getting that sorted again. My first step there is I do always recommend chiropractic or physical therapy, even if you don't have a chiropractor to make sure that the nervous system is well balanced and the function is there. Um, beyond that, it's going to take, yeah. What are they eating? What's the diet? Like, are they sensitive to something? Is he still constipated and having bowel obstructions? Are you having to rely on Miralax to go? Um, there's all sorts of chemistry involved there. Yeah. And then making sure that there's enough fiber and water um, being consumed to help the natural process uh, occur. We had fiber and peanut butter and jelly. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's our kids favorite too. So a lot of times you have to discern whether it is a structural or chemical issue, or is it a trauma, a trauma response? So is the regression happening because he couldn't go before and did the bowel obstruction happen because of trauma? That's a question too. Right? Is it a control uh, response to trauma? As that was something that was that we were going through last year with our now four-year-old. So when she was about three and a half, we were in the same boat. Um, and we had to kind of work through that. Um, you know, she got, I guess her trigger response was um, tied into the start of potty training or the beginning of the conversation of potty training. Um, and then she didn't have a good response in a previous foster care. Correct. Home. So it was, you know, her remembering how, how it occurred in the previous foster home and um, then combining, you know, making sure that she knew that she was in a safe environment and that she did have control over, you know, pull-ups and all that kind of stuff. Um, making sure, sure that she wasn't eating thing in her, eating anything in her diet that was upsetting her stomach and and possibly like causing any type of constipation. So come to find out she's um, very gluten and dairy intolerant. Um, And so removing that and introducing her to like fruit smoothies where you can hide in things like, like spinach, greens and spinach and stuff like that, that kind of gets muted by berries and, you know, protein powder and all that kind of stuff was actually helping with her digestion and uh, making sure that she was consuming more fiber and, and fruits yeah. and veggies. And she's only just now at four and almost four and a half mm-hmm. able to recognize when she has to go to the bathroom. Right. So I think it, it, you really have to discern what's the mechanism here. Is it structural chemical or is it. And it is trauma? part of the delay. Like yeah. if you're having, if you were, a part of trauma, you know, so young, then everything's kind of delayed. And so it sort of makes sense that this recognition um, for this bodily process might also be a delayed, um, I guess, becoming conscious of what your body is saying to you. Yeah. It could be delayed. 
Yeah, that's that sounds like a whole lot of work, and that that's kind of <laughs> part of what we've been working our way through yeah. in the last couple of years. Yeah, it's, just like, it's not a simple solution. For I sure. just need you to poop. <laughs> right? I need you to poop on the potty, and I need you to know when and how to do it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Potty training is not our expertise because we're struggling in that department too. No, so the struggle is real. But, but we certainly understand the the constipation or the. We, we actually call our children stop and go because our oldest gets constipated and our youngest has never had a solid bowel movement. So it's, we're, <laughs> we're on both sides of that spectrum. So. I'm glad I'm not the only one with poop issues yeah. in my life. No, no. it's it, everyone. It is ridiculous how <laughs> much poop is part of it. Probably need to talk, talk more about poop <laughs> than we do. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm definitely because. I know that uh, I don't. We're, we're in a small town in rural Missouri. We're an hour west of St. Louis, um, so we do not. Hey, which town? Home. Which town? Um, are you familiar with? Are you familiar with the St. Louis area? Sort of, sort of. Okay, the next county west of that is St. Charles. Okay, well, I have family in Joplin, and I've had family in Prescott. Um, I don't know where that is, and then my uh, my grandfather grew up in Avery and Benton County. Oh, I know. I know some of those. Um, Joplin's down in the southwestern corner of the state. We're about an hour west of St. Louis. Okay, cool. So we're in we're in that area, and so yeah, there's not a whole lot. St. Louis is. I don't want to talk smack on the on the town, but um, we don't always have a whole lot of additional resources here. We're one of the smallest big towns you've you've ever met. So uh, so yeah, the, we don't always have all the access to. Um, to all the benefits that you would have in a larger town, but quite frankly, I would, I would not want to live in the larger town myself. I've been through my time in the military. I've existed in big towns and cities and environments and in small ones, and I do appreciate the rural places here in Missouri where we live. It makes life so much easier. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, well, I want to thank you guys so much for for showing up today and and answering a couple of my personal questions and and a lot of the bigger questions as well. So, thank you so much for your time and for for both Haley and Megan jumping on here because I know um, Megan. Just so you know, Haley didn't think that you would be up to it and willing. So, um, <laughs> I said. Bye. You sound like me and my wife. I'm the one who's like, oh, yeah, I'm up for talk anytime. Go for it. And my wife looks at me and goes, um, no, I have not had time to prepare for that. <laughs> so, yeah, I just appreciate you guys showing up here and, and helping helping us out and, and telling your story today. And hopefully helping out a lot of a lot of foster parents across this whole this whole journey and um, and allowing us to learn from your your experience. We appreciate you having us on. Thank you very much. Okay, Foster Care Nation. Thank you for listening to Haley and Megan's story. Now take her knowledge and wisdom to heart so you can create love and healing in your family and community. Be sure to come back next week. We have new episodes every Tuesday. If you'd like to share your story as a guest, you can reach us at Jason at fostercarenation.com. You can connect with other like-minded people on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash fostercareuj. And don't forget, we have an account over at Buy Me a Coffee. It's like a virtual tip jar where you can help us fund our mission for as little or as much as you want. It's at buymeacoffee.com slash fostercare. The links to everything are in the show notes in your podcast player or at fostercarenation.com. And as always, you are so super awesome. I thank you guys. Thank you for listening. Thanks, thanks, thanks. Unparalleled Studios. Studios.